0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swann and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Thank you, so glad that you're here. Pastor Stormy and Shelly are on vacation right now, so we pray, pray blessings over them and that they're able to rest and rejuvenate in this time. But that means something exciting for me that I get to be with you guys to share the word with you. So I hope you brought your Bible and I hope you brought something to take notes with because God has a word for you tonight. Before we get into the message, though, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about giving. If you were here on Sunday or if you watched online, Pastor Stormy delivered an amazing word about obedience and about sin, and he talked about how the original sin, when Adam took the fruit, the sin that he committed wasn't something crazy like we would think of sin today, drug abuse, alcohol addictions, or, or lying, cheating, stealing, all of those things. The thing that Adam did that was sin and that banished him from the Garden of Eden, was he simply disobeyed God. And so my challenge to you today is in the area of your giving, to obey God. And if you've been reluctant to obey God, take that step. Actually, giving your tithe to the storehouse is the only area in all of Scripture where the Lord says, test me in this and see that I won't. And so we need to obey God in the area of our tithes. You know, God doesn't need our money. That's the funny thing about it. He commands that we give, but he doesn't need it. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Evan? Well, if you think about one of the most valuable things we have here on the earth, it's gold. The gold in heaven is just asphalt. They use it to pave the streets with. God doesn't need our money, but he does desire our hearts, and we give him our heart by obeying. And so I challenge you in the area of giving to be obedient to whatever it is that God has called you to give and that he has commanded you to obey in that area. Okay, let's pray over the tithes and offerings. Father, I thank you so much for every obedient giver in this place. And for those that have been reluctant in their obedience, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would make the decision to obey you fully and watch the blessings of God flow in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we have lots of different ways to give here at Faith Christian Family Church. You can do it online at faithchurchlubbock.com. You can give on our app, FCFC Lubbock, for Apple, iPhone, or Google Play. And then you can also drop your seed envelopes, checks, or cash in any of these boxes that are around the room. If you have any questions about that, our staff be happy to help you with it after service. Well, tonight, the message that the Lord put on my heart is interesting because um, I had an entire message written already, and I thought, well, I already have one, so I'll just preach that. And the Lord was pretty clear. The answer was, no, you're not gonna do that. I want you to preach about this. And this thing is a little bit uncomfortable for me, but that's okay because God is stretching me and growing me as he's stretching you and growing you, okay? And tonight, I'm gonna talk about, first of all, the times that we're living in. We are living right now in 2020 in the most unprecedented times in history. If you think about all the things that have happened since February of this year, it's unbelievable. It's mind-blowing. And if you look back in February and say, would I have imagined that the things that transpired would have happened? You would have said, never would I have dreamed. And I'm talking about everything from coronavirus and shutdowns and lockdowns to riots and protests to political things that have happened in our world. Our world is crazy. But God warned us about that, didn't he? In the book of Luke 21, actually, Jesus said that in the last days, pestilence and cataclysmic storms would be signs of the end times. Well, what's a pestilence? That's not a word we use very often. If you look up pestilence in the dictionary, it means a fatal epidemic disease and cataclysmic storms. He said those things would mark the end times. He also said that in the end times, the love of many would grow cold. He said that that nation would rise against nation, that kingdom would rise against kingdom. And we're seeing that like no other time in history. The love of many growing cold, nations rising up against nations, and kingdom against kingdom. You see what he's describing there? We are in a spiritual war. And just like in a natural war, there's an enemy. And we face an enemy. And our enemy, we know him as the devil, as Satan, as that cunning serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. And he's been deceiving people ever since. And just like in a natural war, our enemy has a tactic and he has a careful, thought-out plan that is thorough and that he has thought about for thousands of years. And I want to expose his plan tonight because I don't want us anymore to be blinded to what the enemy's doing. If we're gonna fight a war, then we need to know the enemy's tactics. If we're gonna fight a war, we need to know who we're fighting for and what we're fighting for, and the fact that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, we're not fighting against people, we're fighting against principalities and darkness and rulers in heavenly places. We're fighting against the enemy, the devil. And so what is his plan? His plan is an all-out assault on unity. Think about it. When the coronavirus first hit, and we had our first shutdown here in Lubbock back in March, my thought was that the enemy was using that thing to keep people out of the church. And sure, that that worked, but people still continue to press in in their homes, and they watch through live stream. and all across our nation we saw churches coming together in different ways like no other time. I don't believe that that was his full goal but I do believe his goal in all of this has been to break unity. I mean, think about it. Think about the world that we live in, politics. Is there unity in our political system in this country? And there would be not a single person that would raise their hand and say, absolutely we have unity. No, there's hatred for both sides. There's, there's bickering and backbiting and lying and cheating and stealing. In our political system, there is, there is no unity. Think about what's happened recently, even with race, how, how the enemy has put black against white, and there's been disunity and dissension between races, people that love each other. Think about the, what you've heard with policemen. And there's some people that would say, well, we have to have policemen or our society will never last. And then there's those on the exact opposite end that say, we need to abolish the police. And there's, there's hatred on both sides. Think about even the church. There's, there's dissension within denominations, and certain denominations would say, you have to do things this way, and other denominations would say, you're wrong for doing things those way. And even in the church, there's hatred and dissension. It doesn't take long to look through your social media feed to see hatred and to see people turning against each other. Even to see family members fighting and bickering and arguing through social media. And even what I mentioned earlier with with the coronavirus, even think of of the fact about wearing masks. And some people are all for wearing masks and some people are all for not wearing masks at all. And it can't just be a thing where, sure, if you want to wear it and if you don't want to, don't wear it, no, there's hatred. You know, what? one of the people in our church was talking to me the other day and she said, uh, before masks were required in Texas, she went to the grocery store and she has a preexisting condition in her body and she felt more comfortable wearing a mask, and so she had a mask on in the grocery store. And she said that the people who weren't wearing masks were the ones that looked so hatefully at her, and they had this judgmental glare when they looked at her. You see, it's not just about the issue on the surface. The enemy is attacking unity. And so again, my goal today is to expose him. Why would he attack unity, though? Turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 133. And while you're turning there, I want to define the word unity. And in a little bit, I'm going to clear up a misconception about it. The word unity, if you look in the dictionary, there's all sorts of definitions. But four of those definitions are the state of being joined as a whole. Another definition of unity is oneness. Another definition is combining all parts into one. And then this is my favorite definition of unity is is the state of being one undivided entity and if we think of of any section of population even in the church families businesses I think there's few places in our world that we could say that is one undivided entity because division is so prevalent in our world and again I want you to recognize that this is an attack so the book of Psalms chapter 133 and this is gonna reveal why Satan is attacking unity Chapter 1, or verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And in the NIV version, there's an explanation point right there. How good and pleasant it is when they live in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And that, verse 3, that's the ticket. That's the key, and that's why Satan is attacking unity. Did you catch what it said? It said, for there is his blessing. Well, where is there? When the people of God dwell together in unity. So, of course, Satan would attack unity, because when we're unified, the blessing of the Lord is there, and life forevermore. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that his goal, the enemy, the thief, it says he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so, yes, he wants to steal your joy, and yes, he wants to take your blessings, and yes, he wants to take away that life forevermore that's promised when we dwell together in unity. So this is his plan, and as we expose it today, I want you to understand that unity is paramount. Unity is so important. Unity requires effort on our part. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is after the Gospels, after 1 and 2 Corinthians, after after Romans. You're going to get to Ephesians. And in the the book of Ephesians chapter 4, these are the words of Paul. And I love what he says because it's a challenge to the church. It's something that's hard to do. It's not something easy. Ephesians chapter four, verse two, and we're gonna read verse two and three. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then the key, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is not something that just happens. It will never just happen because unity takes effort There are so many scriptures in the Bible about unity that I had to go through. I had this like gigantic list and I would not have had time to get through all of them. I had to be like, okay, this one kinda says a little bit the same thing as this one. The scripture is full of places where it talks about unity. Why? Because it's not something that comes naturally. Naturally, we wanna take care of ourselves. Naturally, we wanna do things our way. But unity looks out for someone else first. And so unity is gonna take effort on our part. But again, it's worth it. And I want to look at Jesus as an example, first and foremost. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 17. Just back a few books to your left. And this is a place in Scripture where Jesus is praying. And actually, he spends the entire chapter praying. And he prays to the Father, him and God. It's this conversation between them. And then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all believers. And the subtitle or the the little heading, it says, Jesus prays for all believers. So who is that? Well, that's me and that's you. Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years ago, this prayer. And it is so important today. So in the book of John, chapter 17, I'm in verse 22. And Jesus says, again, he's talking to God. He says, I have given them, who is them? That's us, that's believers. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Remember, one of the definitions of unity is oneness. In verse 23, Jesus says, I in them and you, Father, in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Everybody say then. That word then implies that because this one thing happened, now this other thing's gonna happen. And I hope you caught it because in verse 23, he says, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So that's the requirement. And then the then, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. If we as the body of Christ will live in unity, then the world will know that jesus came from god then the world will know that jesus is the son of god and if the believers will live in unity in oneness in an undivided entity then the world will know that god loves them did you catch that the world knows that god loves them when we live in unity you see how important this job is and how important this effort is? And once again, why the enemy is attacking unity with everything he's got? Because it reveals to the world that God loves them. In John 3, 16, everybody knows that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. When we know that God loves us and when we accept Jesus as our Lord, we have eternal life salvation, and we have eternal communion with God, and that's the exact opposite of what the enemy wants for us. So I've got three points today, and if you're taking notes, we're going to start with the very first one, that unity is confused with conformity. Point number one, unity is confused with conformity. Now, conformity is actually a negative thing, Conformity means that everybody is made to look alike, to be alike, to sound alike, to say the same things. And sometimes we can confuse that with unity. And sometimes we can think, well, in order to be in unity, that must mean that we're all doing the same things, going the same places, and agreeing on everything that we talk about. But I wanna show you through scripture that that's not true. Unity is not the same thing as conformity. And yes, you can be in unity and not agree and I think that's gonna be key for us today. I want you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. You might say, man, this guy is using a lot of scripture. Well, why not, because that's the word of God, that's what you need to hear, not my thoughts anyways, right? Romans chapter 12, you should be close there if you stayed in John. Romans chapter 12, and this is in verse four. Now, what, what Paul says here is said a lot of different places in scripture, and it talks about how we are the body of Christ. So verse four of chapter 12, It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, or some translations say many parts, and these members or these parts do not all have the same function. So in Christ, everybody say in Christ. In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Do you see unity there? We belong to one body, undivided, a perfect whole, oneness but each of us has a different function. Each of us has a different background. Each of us has a different experience that has shaped who we are today. Each of us has something different that we believe. Each of us serves a function in the body of Christ. And you know, it's talked about elsewhere in scripture that that how can one part of the body say to the other part, well, I'm not important because I'm not this. The nose can't say to the eye, well, you're not important because you're not a nose. You eyes can't smell so you're the worst. No, we need every part and even the pinky toe. See, I, I, I don't know, I may be a pinky toe in the body of Christ and I'm totally good with that because I, I think I broke my pinky toe like three weeks ago and since then every single step hurts just a little bit and it's the most annoying thing in history. Who's ever stubbed their pinky toe? You don't know you need it until you don't have it and it's the worst. So yes, every part. Every single part of the body has a function and a purpose and we are not unified and we are not one unless every part does their job. We're not conform it's not about conformity. We are not made to be the same. We are made to be different, to be diverse. And we only achieve true unity when we accept that and we accept others for who they are in Christ. We are different functions but part of the same body. We're, as a staff at the church, we always read a book together uh, during our staff meetings. Our staff meetings are on Tuesdays, and so when we get together, the first thing we do is we go through this book. Right now we're reading a book called The Blessed Church by Robert Morris. He's a pastor of a megachurch in Dallas, Texas. And this Blessed Church book has been so good, but there was something the other day that stuck out to me, because he talked about unity, and I want to read a little section of this book. Robert Moore says, at Gateway, business is conducted with the highest value being placed upon unity. Unity, however, is not the same thing as conformity. Meaningful, biblical unity provides a safe place for an open expression of sincerely held opinion. The atmosphere should encourage a diversity of viewpoints. See, I see things differently than you see things because of my experiences because of the things that I've gone through in my life, because of the things that people have said to me and said about me, and all of us have different set of experiences. Even a set of twins has different experiences as they go through life. Therefore, we, we come at things from a different viewpoint. He goes on to say: true and lasting community, or it's true and lasting unity comes from valuing relationships above corporate accomplishment, personal fulfillment, or mere, mere policy preferences. We have a saying that encapsulates this truth, and if you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. Relationships above issues. See, you and I both know that we can get so caught up on the issues that we neglect the relationship with that person that we have an issue with, and we neglect that they are a member of the body of Christ, and we neglect that they're necessary just the way that they are. He's talking about Gateway, and he says, we believe that when we live in unity, we position ourselves for God's blessings. That's just what we read in Psalms 133. Unity is paramount, but our objective is not to come into unity by finding ways to agree with each other. And that's what we're talking about with point number one. It's not the same thing as conformity. And if you're thinking like mine has been in the past that unity means that we all agree, listen carefully. Our objective is not that we come into agreement with each other, the goal is, is for us to come into agreement with God. When we all hear clearly and accurately what the Spirit of God is saying, unity is the natural result. It's very possible for a group of people to be in agreement with each other and yet miss God by a mile. And I hope that's never me. I hope that I never get so focused on what other people want that I miss God by a mile. And the last thing that he says is that's why the goal is to come into unity with the Holy Spirit and with what he is saying. So we're all different and that's good. And we all have different viewpoints and that's good. And we should celebrate and encourage and welcome each other's viewpoints as long as we are all focused on God and all focused on the word. Because there's a caveat to all of this. You see, we should never use building unity as an excuse to excuse sin. Because there are things in the Bible that are absolute truth. And we as Christians stand on that. And we don't waver from it. But that doesn't mean that there's not different viewpoints surrounding other things, surrounding things that are not necessarily absolute truth in scripture. And if our goal is to be in agreement with each other, we'll never obtain our goal. There is no way that, that even two people can completely agree on everything, much less an entire church, even more or less, an entire group of the body of Christ. We will not agree, but we can agree on one thing, that this is what we live our lives on, and that this is the truth. Amen? Amen? Turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. The first point that I talked about was, was that unity is often confused with conformity, and unity and conformity are not the same thing. To, to give an example of what this looks like, it's like a symphony. If each and every part of a symphony, if each instrument, if the violin and the viola, the wind instruments, if everybody played the same note at the same time, it would be the most boring piece of music in all of history, and nobody would like it. But the reason that a symphony is so beautiful is because each instrument plays its specific part that was assigned to that instrument. And when they do their job well, and everybody else does their job well, Then the result is a symphony. And I think that a symphony is a beautiful picture of what unity is. It's all of us doing our part, all of us celebrating what each other brings to the table, and then walking in oneness, undivided. So, point one is that unity is confused with conformity. Point number two, unity is broken with offense. Point number two, unity is broken with offense. John Bevere, he's one of my favorite authors, and he said this, an offended heart is the breeding ground for deception. And when your heart is offended, you allow the enemy to come in and do what he wants to do with you. You allow him to come in and deceive you, just like he deceived Adam and Eve. He's been deceiving since day one. The enemy's plan is to isolate the sheep. You see, when a wolf goes after the sheep, he doesn't attack the entire herd He attacks that one that's isolated. And often the isolated one is the one that's wounded or the one that is offended. And when we allow ourselves to get offended, we allow ourselves to get wounded, and we allow ourselves to get isolated, we're a prime target for the enemy to come in and to deceive us in our hearts and in our minds. In the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on, who does it say? You live at peace with everyone. So this isn't about what they did, and it isn't about what they said. It's not about the things that have been done to you. It's not about the things that have been said about you. This is about you, and only you can choose whether you're going to live in offense or not. Only you can choose to live at peace with everyone as long as it's possible with you. Do so you know what this means to me? Don't be offended, but also don't be offensive. Don't be that person that offends people. Don't be that person that speaks harshly and speaks with hatred and lets bitterness spew out of your mouth because that's part of living at peace as well. Part of living at peace is forgiving, is moving on, and part of living at peace is not being offensive towards people, is welcoming people and accepting different viewpoints like we talked about a second ago. You know those people that that make you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around them? Because you're constantly thinking about what you're saying and whether what you say is gonna offend them or not. And and it's not fun to be around those people. It's not fun to be around those people where you have to be so cautious where you're like, okay, I I wanna tell them I love them, but is that gonna make them think that I I didn't love them yesterday? Nobody wants to be around those people. So don't be like that. Don't live offended. And it's a choice whether you live offended or not. It's absolutely not a choice whether things happen to you. And yes, they, things will happen to you. And people will hurt you. You don't have that choice whether to control that. What you can control is how you respond to it. And you can control whether you harbor offense in your heart. There's a, one place where, where I think offense comes really frequently. And, and I think that people get really, really bold with the way that they talk to other people. And so that place is one of our favorite places, and it's a place called social media. And I've got this quick video that I wanna show you, and I think this video perfectly illustrates the dangers and the traps of social media. So watch this. That's funny, (laughs) but that stings a little. See, social media, it depersonalizes people just like that poster did. And it's real easy to sit behind a computer or to sit behind a cell phone and talk bad about somebody or fight with somebody or spew hatred towards somebody, But do you have the relationship with that person to be able to say that to him face to face? Because if you don't, you probably shouldn't say it. And if you don't, you should probably, when I I was in high school, one of my friends, he used to, he would just say whatever came to his mind. And so he had this thing he called the five second rule. He would think about something, he would wait five seconds and then if he still thought he should say it, then he would say it. And I think that's what we should do with social media. That before we go ahead and spew those things that are hurtful towards people, Let's just wait a second and realize that the person on the other side of that cell phone or the person on the other side of that computer screen is a living, breathing child of God. And and when you do those things on social media, it does not build unity. It builds hatred and dissension. So I was scrolling through Facebook the other day, and this this was perfectly illustrated. And I saw one of my friends, they had gone to the grocery store, and they they had secretly taken a picture of somebody there, I was dressed a certain way and, and doing a certain thing. And so they posted that picture that they had you know, secretly taken on their Facebook and they said some things on there that were pretty hateful and a little off color. And so somebody else, they took it upon themselves to jump on and, and tell the person that they shouldn't have done that and that blah, blah, blah. So then it starts this, this all-out gigantic war between these two people. In the comments, you can just read them as you're scrolling down. You guys have all seen stuff like this. And one person goes at them then the other person goes at them and then back and forth and back and forth. And did that conversation build unity at all? No. It didn't. It actually caused dissension and division between those two people that knew each other personally but were able to say things on social media that they wouldn't have said at Christmas. And so watch yourselves. And this is a challenge for me too, that I watch myself and before I say things no matter where it is or how it is, that I wonder, is this going to build somebody up? Is this going to build the the kingdom of God? I came across this verse yesterday, and it's in Romans chapter 14, and I'm going to read it out of the message. I've seen people on Facebook and, and Instagram and all those places, and they flat out attack people for having a different viewpoint than them. But look at this. Romans 14 verse 1. In the message it says, welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way that you do hmm and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department remember they have their own history to deal with treat them gently for instance a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. And look at this part. It says, but since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. And I read that and that stung a little bit. God can take care of them without my help. And it's almost like my kids. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a negative two-week-year-old. She doesn't fight with the other ones yet, it's great. The the four-year-old and the two-year-old, they like to go at each other, and especially my four-year-old, she thinks it's her job to make sure that Levi is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And I have to call her down over and over and over and tell her, Ellie, I'll handle it, I'll deal with it. Ellie, I will take care of Levi. You don't have to tell him what to do. You don't have to be his boss. And that's exactly what the Lord's saying to us through this scripture. God can handle each one of his children without our help, without our interfering. And so let's be biblical and let's build unity in love. See, in the, in the kingdom of God, in the book of Galatians chapter three, I'm just gonna read it really quickly. In verse 28 it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no race difference. There's neither slave nor free. There's no economic status difference. There's neither male nor female. But we, you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, he doesn't, he doesn't see us as all these different things that we see ourselves at. God doesn't see us black or white. He doesn't see us, he doesn't see us as blue collar or white collar. He doesn't see us as rich or poor. He doesn't see us as male or female. He sees us all as his children. And he sees us all as his prized and cherished possession. So first, we talked about unity's confused with, with conformity. And then secondly, unity is broken with offense. So don't live in offense and don't live offended. And I wanna talk about how to not live in offense really quick. There's a book that my dad used to read to me when I was a kid and it's called You Are Special. And in this book, it's about all these little wooden people called Wemmicks and they had a maker named Eli. And Eli made every single one of the Wimmicks, and he made them each special. But the Wemmicks, they each had this this stack of gold stickers, gold stars, and they had a stack of gray dots. And when each of the Wemmicks would do something amazing, all of the other Wemmicks would gather around and put a gold sticker on them, a gold star, and they would feel really great about themselves. And then if they tripped and fell, or if they said something they shouldn't have said, then the other Wemmicks would gather around and put a gray dot on them, and that gray dot would stick. Well, there was this Wemmick named Punchinello, and he only had gray dots. Punchinello had no gold stars at all. He never did anything that was worthy of the praises of people. And he felt horribly about himself. He didn't like who he was. Until one day, he saw a Wemmick that didn't have any stars or dots. She was completely clean. And he asked, how did you get the other Wemmicks not to put stickers on you? And she said, oh, they try to put the stickers on me, but they don't stick. And Punchinello said, how do you get them to stick, wanting all of his gray dots to fall off? And she said, oh, it's easy. Every single day I go and see Eli and I spend time with him. See, Eli's a picture of God and he has made us. And when we spend time in God's presence and he tells you who you are instead of letting other people tell you who they think you are, then those offenses fall off easily because you shouldn't care what other people think about you. You should care what your maker thinks about you. And you are loved and cherished deeply. So the third point, lastly, as I close is that unity is built with love. Point number three, unity is built with love. I've got just a couple more scriptures, and I'm gonna read them uh, quickly. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Our love, just like our unity, our love is a picture to the world of the love of God. Nothing matters without love. You know, I, the, I used to hear this expression, especially when I was a teacher and, and I would be dealing with students. And I would hear, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's so true. And that's why when you get on Facebook and you say those things that shouldn't be said and when I, when I get onto social media and post things about people and I try to correct them, it doesn't work at all. They don't care how, many, how much I know until they know how much I care about them and until it's done with love. See, the Bible says to speak the truth in love. And look at this. This is a scary thought. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this whole chapter is called the love chapter. And it's one of the most beautiful and poetic chapters in all of Scripture. And my parents used to make me write this verse over and over again. When I was too old to be spanked, if I was ever mean to one of my brothers, I would have to write the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. It's a great punishment. I just gave you some ideas there, parents. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read 1 through 3 says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You're annoying to other people if you don't speak in love. You are harsh to people's ears when you don't speak in love. A resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, those things sound amazing. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing that you do, nothing that I do, even when we do it for the kingdom of God, is of any use unless it's done in love, unless it's clothed in love. And the greatest example that I can think of with this is, best I can tell, this happened in 2012. And there was a group of of gay pride protesters that started boycotting Chick-fil-A because of what Chick-fil-A stood for and their Christian values, and Chick-fil-A stands for the biblical unit of marriage. And so then other people who who loved Chick-fil-A, who wanted to keep eating their chicken, they decided to protest the protesters. And so they, they came up with Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, and it was supposed to be a day where everybody who loved Chick-fil-A and supported Chick-fil-A came and ate their chicken sandwiches and showed their support for that restaurant. Well the, the gay pride protesters decided that on Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, they were going to have Same-Sex Kiss Day outside of each of the Chick-fil-A restaurants. And I believe that the news article says that their goal was to make people not have an appetite for the chicken anymore. And so they did that. And they went to the Chick-fil-A's and they had their signs and they were, they were picketing and protesting. And you know what the Chick-fil-A employees did at at least one of the restaurants? They and the managers and the employees that were working that day made a special batch of chicken sandwiches. They brought out ice-cold water. This was in June. it's very hot outside. And they brought ice-cold lemonade to every single one of the protesters. They handed them the chicken sandwiches, the lemonade, the water and they walked back inside. They didn't say, how dare you come here to our restaurant and do this. They didn't say, how disgusting is it that that you're doing this? There's kids in here. They only loved. And I can only imagine that what those people expected was for them to come out guns a-blazing and to start spewing hatred towards them, tell them to leave, tell them, you better get out of here or I'm going to call the police. But I bet anything that that day was so memorable for those protesters because they remember the day that they tried to come against somebody and that person responded with love. And that's what I challenge you to do and I challenge myself to do is that even when people are coming against me and even when a fence is trying to attach itself to me, that I respond only in love. And in love, unity is built. So I'm gonna pray for us, but I want you to remember that unity is often confused with conformity. It's not the same thing. We are supposed to be different. That's the way we were made. The unity is broken with offense. So don't live in offense and don't live offensively. And third, unity is built with love. So live your life with love. Because without love, nothing else matters. Lord God, I thank you so much for your people. And I thank you so much for the church, the body of Christ. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've called us heavenward. That you've called us higher. That you've called us to live and to walk in unity no matter what it costs us, to protect our unity, to fight for unity, and to do everything in love. So, Lord, help us not to live offended. Help us to to celebrate each other's differences and help us to live in love. In Jesus' name. Everybody say it together. Amen. There was this quote that I was going to read and I forgot, and the Lord just reminded me about it this week. Uh, a, a pastor in California. His name is Chad Veach. He posted on his Facebook, and he said, be someone that fights for people more than with people. So that's what I want to leave you with. Be somebody that'll fight for people in love. I love you guys. If you need... Points, Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlevick.com.